of the series, The Advocate Intercessor. The Advocate Intercessor. Um, a life-changing message. Now, every preacher gets in the pulpit says, I have a life-changing message. And, you know, I'm sure just about every message will change somebody's life, but this really is a life-changing message. This really is the real, no matter where you are in God, in your spiritual development, this message will grab you, challenge you, and if you receive it, it'll do something dynamic and powerful in your life. So, Mark, are we ready? In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, um, we're going to read it, and I'm going to give you on the screen as we follow along reading it um, a, uh, a visual so that you can follow it. But before we do, let me set this up for you. About halfway through the book of Revelation, um, there is this parenthetical insertion, which means that in the narrative, in the chronological narrative of Revelation, the uh, Holy Spirit creates a pause because of, there's some very important information that he wants to insert into the narrative. It doesn't necessarily happen in the sequence of time that is leading up to chapter 10, chapter 11, then coming up to chapter 12, but it's significant to put this information in at this time. However, the information that he's about to give us, and we're not going to read all of it, just a little bit of it, actually took place prior to this being written. And it certainly has taken place long before we ever read it 2,000 years later. So, um, he sees a vision of a woman clothed with a son who represents Israel, pregnant and brings forth a man-child, and that man-child is Jesus Christ. And shortly after he is brought forth, He's caught up to God in his throne. We know that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. Um, and his being caught up to God and to his throne precipitates the ejection of the devil as the accuser out of heaven. And that gets close to the heart of what I'm going to be preaching about, what I've shared with you about in these previous two messages. So the devil... Um, illustrated as the great dragon is cast down onto the earth and he is furious and he goes to make war with Israel and with the saints. And so we're going to read this little bitty uh, section from verse 7 down to verse 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, everyone say now. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Wow. There's a tremendous message in there, and it's life-transforming, and hopefully we're going to mine it out. Praise the Lord. Did you know that man used to be represented in heaven by the devil? You remember the story how that, um, and you can go ahead and turn that off and, and raise that up and bring the lights up if you will. Um, you remember, I had to pay a little extra to get this traveling pulpit. Um, <laughs> you, re, you remember the story of Job? when the, the uh, angels of God had assembled together and up comes Lucifer and he's talking to God, face to face, talking to God about Job. And he's arguing with God. As God points out Job's righteousness, the devil says, eh, yeah, but you know, he's really no different than any other sinner. And so they have this back and forth and it results in the enemy being able to go at Job and get at his life and, and just Pertner killed him, destroyed a lot of things that were very important to his life. God finally steps in and Job stands in his faith and, and uh, integrity and God delivers him and restores him. Um, and we have that picture. And I think a lot of Christians are scared out of their minds when they think about Job because they think, oh my God, you know, well, I, I hope the devil never is able to talk, you know, to talk God into getting at me. And they see God from their perspective, giving the devil the right to go at them. And, uh, and you know, they think, uh, I'm sure, and, and maybe you've thought too, you can bring those other lights on if you want. Um, and I'm sure that the thought is there, this could happen to me, my goodness. And this is sort of what I want to get at. This was... Um, this was a period of time before Jesus rose from the dead when the devil was able to stand before God and represent man. I, I can't re-preach the previous two messages, but if you want to understand how that was and why that was, you can get those two messages. But just suffice it to say that man, through his fall from God's grace, placed himself under Satan's dominion, and the accuser became our representative. So we were represented by an accuser who constantly accused us. Now, listen, the devil basically stood before God and dangled humanity, dangled mankind, think of yourself, before God, mangled in sin, and dangled them before God with this accusation. You could create them in your image and likeness, but the nature of your love wasn't enough to keep them. However, I won them over to me, and I put my nature in them, and I control them every day. They obey me. They follow me. You could make them, but I can control them. Now, the reason that's significant is because from the very beginning, Lucifer always wanted to assert himself above God, or at least show that he was equal to God and be considered as God. That was his great flaw and his great aim. I will exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High God. 
So he saw his opportunity with man when his rebellion with the uh, angels that he drew away in rebellion failed. He had a second opportunity when he sees man. He gets man whom God created to have a connection with. Man wasn't like the, 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 the fish and, the, and the, the, the dogs and the antelope and the hippopotamuses of the earth. Man was made in the image and likeness of God. God had an eternal attachment to man. He was designed to interact with the love of God. We, we were made by and for love. And so the enemy took that advantage and basically became our representative and as our representative became our accuser. Look at them. They obey my nature. My nature succeeds where your nature failed. That's his accusation. So man stood condemned before God without an advocate, without an intercessor. He was unprotected from Satan's accusations and his schemes. But then this happened. In Revelation 12 and 8 we read, But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now! The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, having purchased back fallen humanity with the blood, even though all of humanity yet was still in darkness, that blood reached into the future as well as reached back into the past and provided salvation once for all, for all people. Once they came to that saving knowledge that Jesus provided right standing and forgiveness with God and received Him, the payment was already laid down before the judge and was honored. So when Jesus rose from the dead, there was no place found anymore in heaven. Now, it's not like the devil had a bedroom and a little sitting area that he could sort of, you know, base his operations from. When it says his place was no longer found in heaven, it means that his right to ascend up to heaven and talk to God was removed because God said there's nothing to talk about. I've just removed man out from under your authority. I have rolled up my sleeve and I myself have become the intercessor. I came down into the world as the intercessor, as Emmanuel, God with us, laid my life down in sacrifice upon the cross, provided blood that freed man from sin, and I've risen up from this moment forward. Earth has an advocate and the, the accuser's not necessary. The accuser no longer has a right to stand in the presence of God and talk to God. God, God didn't have to put up with the devil bad-mouthing you and I any longer because he who ever lives to make intercession filled the heavens. Hallelujah. And his, the, the accuser's place was no longer found and I just want you to absorb this thought. It's a huge thought. Let it drive out of your mind all those old hyper-spiritual and religiously confusing ideas 
about God, Jesus and the devil arm wrestling over you, having competition and struggling back and forth and your will is being pulled. The devil's pulling your will one way and Jesus is pulling it another way. And, and, and uh, the father's kind of in the middle going, well, I hope my son wins as they struggle over Terry and Helen's life. And those sorts of imaginations and ideas really have provided uh, a terrible opportunity for the enemy to undermine the faith and confidence of Christians. And so what I want to do is share with you the truth, the plain truth of what God's Word says. It says, now the accusers cast out, and there's no longer any room for him to talk to God. People, the devil has not been able to speak to God in over 2,000 years. He has not been able to go up and speak in heaven concerning mankind for 2,000 years, not even concerning sinners, because the Lord is there as the advocate of the earth. Now, they're not saved if they don't receive Him as, as Savior, but the Father only looks to one authority, and that is the authority of the advocate who ever lives to make intercession. Can you say amen? So Jesus is ever living to make intercession, fills heaven as the living declaration of our righteousness. Now, we've read that verse, um, he ever lives to make intercession. And I think when we read it, we just naturally get a picture of Jesus kind of down on one knee. He's just, you know, he he's spends eight hours, shifts a day praying for everybody. Oh, uh, Holy Spirit, get down there, help them. They're going through a battle today and interceding. He's just... He's, I don't know how he can do it. He's super Jesus. But he, he prays for all the millions of people. He's just interceding. And we think of Jesus interceding as a labor, as a work. Something that he's doing in actual real time. Oh, oh Chris is going to be facing a trial this week. I better double down. We need to put some intercession over Chris. And because he's eternal, because he's God, he can do that all at once for millions of people all at the same time. But we see him kind of interceding as we would intercede and in, in, in a dynamic way in real time. That is not what Jesus is doing. The Bible says he's resting. He's sitting upon the throne. When it says he ever lives to make intercession, a better way to put it is, he ever lives, he ever exists as the statement of intercession. When he rose, before he died, he said, it is finished. Hallelujah. And he sat down resting until all the enemies have become the footstool for his feet. Hallelujah. He's not up there getting worked up. So, oh, I see a tough week coming. They're, they're fussing in the Middle East. Elections coming up in America. Putin is trying to, you know, retake Europe and reconstitute the USSR and all this stuff. And uh, he doesn't have his angels monitoring Fox News, <laughs> reporting to heaven. This angels, yes, sir, reporting. Yes, planes are going down, trouble everywhere. Jesus like, oh, I better get with it. I need to intercede. No, he ever lives to be the statement it is finished. It is finished. Which seals heaven from a single accusation of the devil ever filtering up from the earth. That heaven is sealed. 
God does not listen to the accuser. He doesn't listen to him. And he doesn't want you listening to him. If he's not listening to him, he doesn't want you. You see, God doesn't listen to him because it's not necessary. He's got the advocate to listen to. Doesn't need to. What's the accuser? The only reason the accuser had any audience before God is because he had us. But once he lost us, God doesn't need to listen to him. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to see that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. God doesn't listen to the devil. I don't care how bad you mess up. I don't care um, how neglectful you are of spiritual things or any of that stuff. In fact, God is so confident of the work of the advocate who ever lives to make intercession. He knows if you sin, if you mess up, or when you sin and when you mess up, you're going to run to him and deal with him about it. He knows he doesn't have to involve the devil, and he doesn't want you involving the devil. You see, the devil's lie was, I've got them. You made them in your image and likeness, but I can control them with sin. Jesus said, that's what you think. That's what you think. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world knew from the very beginning that his blood would release the divine nature of God into the sons of Adam, and they would become the manifest station of the sons of God that would rise up one day, hallelujah, as the Lord comes back to this world to establish his kingdom in this world. The fact is, the whole creation is groaning and travailing for us to come forth as the sons of God when he returns. Today, we live as Christ's ambassadors. Hallelujah. And we're getting down to the heart of this message. So at any rate, Rejoice, O heavens, verse 12. Rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in them, but. Now here's us today. Woe to you who are on the earth, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. See, even though the kingdom of God has come in heaven, we are dealing with a situation in the earth today. A situation where, while the accuser's not in heaven, he is here. He is among us, and he's operating among us. And he is ticked off, to say the least. If you think he was malignant when you read the Old Testament, he's really bad now. You know, as awful as the antediluvian world probably was, the one that was flooded, or the, the, the uh, uh, 2,000 years after the flood until the time of Jesus, when you look at the past 2,000 years, the third 2,000 years of human history, it becomes pretty evident that the world took a hard, nasty turn after the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because the accuser was cast down and knows that he has a limited time. You see, he knows that he is defeated. He knows that the sentence of death is over him. He knows it, but he cannot. He's like an evil terrier. Now, if you have a terrier, don't be <laughs> offended. I'm not saying terriers are evil, but he's like a terrier gone bad. And he has a bite on something he cannot let go of. His nature is perverted into this perverse focus. So how do we upon the earth apply heaven's victory over the accuser? 
Because clearly that's what we're dealing with in this life, is the accuser has come down. And God summed up every problem, social, mental, health-wise, physical, political, in all the world by saying, Woe to you, for the accuser has come down. That sums it all up. Everything can trace the origin of its trouble back to the fact that the devil's here and he is angry. And he has a vendetta. Can you say amen? Now, Jesus addressed the question of how do we deal with this confrontation upon the earth that we live in presently. When his disciples asked him in Matthew chapter 6, how shall we pray? And Jesus said to them, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God said, if you want to deal with the accuser, notice how I dealt with him when Jesus rose from the dead. What did it take to drive him out of heaven? The arrival, the ascension, the lifting up of the advocate. Where the advocate is, the accuser has no place. It says, when the advocate arrived in heaven, the accuser was cast out and his position was taken away and his place was no longer found. If you're praying concerning your house, your family, an unsaved neighbor, a relative, or a situation that is within the sphere of your influence, and God's put you on that to pray, then know that nothing is going to be done and no change is going to take place until you can pray the ascension, the arrival of the advocate into that situation. If Jesus arises in that situation, know the kingdom will come and the will of God will be done. No kingdom, no will of God. Let me say it again. No kingdom, no will of God. The will of God is only done where the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God is where the kingdom of the devil isn't. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is where the accuser isn't. And so God's plan for world liberation is simple. It's the one, two, three plan. One, where the advocate intercessor ascends. Two, the kingdom of God comes. Then three, then the will of God is done. So the advocate intercessor arrives in heaven. Number two, the kingdom of God comes. Number three, the will of God is done. Upon his arrival, the accuser was cast out because the accuser cannot occupy the same space, the same place, the same position. His words cannot occupy the same place, same position as the words of the advocate intercessor. So God's one, two, three plan, the Lord says, works in the earth through ambassadors. Jesus ascended up. The advocate himself triumphantly came back to glory, leading a train of captives. But he has sent us into the world, praying, Father, I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil. Look at his prayer. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jesus is the advocate. His blood speaks better things than that of Abel. The Bible says the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. 
But the blood of Jesus cries out for redemption, for forgiveness. The blood of Jesus speaks, and it speaks better things than that of Abel. Now the accuser is always using every advantage he can in any situation to try to keep people from getting saved, to try to keep saved people from being blessed, to try to keep blessed people from getting closer to God. He puts himself between God in every effort to get close to God, and he does it by always pointing out wherever the faults are. He uses faults like a crowbar. He uses faults to pry people's faith. And where you and I need to gain victory over him is to realize you can't argue with the devil. And especially if you have a fault, what are you going to say? I don't have a fault. Well, wait a minute. If Jesus has blotted it out, then the reality is, is once you unite with Christ, once you bring Jesus into the situation, the Bible says if we confess our faults, praying for one another, we'll be healed. That Jesus, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So when Christians sin, are they hopelessly lost? Have they lost their advantage over the devil because they sin? No. We have an advocate. So what do we do? We simply look to our relationship with the advocate. We call on Jesus. We call upon His Word. We stand before God. And the minute we do, the voice of the accuser is no longer, just like it was cast out of heaven, it'll be cast out of your situation. So Jesus said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth like it, like it happened in heaven, let it happen in earth. Somebody say praise the Lord if you see. Jesus said, that is the way. If you want the will of God done. Now here's the problem. There's Christians all over the place taking prayer and saying, well, the Bible says that I can be healed. The Bible says that God will save these people. And the Bible says this. And they just simply jump into praying those things. But it's a one, two, three plan. The advocate must be lifted up and exalted, brought into being. If I be lifted up, I will draw. Number two, the kingdom of God will come. You know what the kingdom of God is? That's where Jesus is Lord. So the lordship of Jesus comes. Hallelujah. Now Jesus, Jesus, uh, <laughs> Jesus doesn't come into people's life kicking the door open uh, and, and announcing his arrival at the point of a gun. He's invited in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the door is open and Jesus comes in. But when he comes in, he comes in and, and his authority. And let me tell you, have you ever seen darkness fight against the light when you turn a light switch on in a dark room? Have you ever seen darkness going, no, you're, you're not going to win this time. I'm not getting out of here. There's light pushing and there's darkness fighting back there, back and forth. And then darkness goes, oh my God, I can't take it anymore. And flees out of the room. No, you, you didn't even see it leave. All you saw was, bam, light, and you can see everything. Dar- I mean, there isn't even a struggle. Think about it. There's no struggle involved. The... Presence of the light simply undoes the effects of darkness. Simply undoes it. It's no battle, no struggle. So, let me share with you now. I've got three things. I'm only going to share one of them this morning. I call these insights for kingdom of God ambassadors. If you haven't figured it out, that's really when Jesus taught the disciples to pray. That's really what he was 
teaching them, he's teaching them how to think like ambassadors so they would pray like ambassadors. Everything happens in the earth through ambassadors. When John the Baptist came, he preached the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he preached the kingdom of God. When Paul, Peter, and the rest of them came, they preached the kingdom of God. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is that, that treasure buried in the field called the kingdom of God. The man who got Jesus had to buy the whole field. He didn't pluck the treasure out of the field, run home. He bought the field because you can't separate the king from the kingdom. Jesus comes with a kingdom. So we preach the kingdom of God because you cannot separate. And by the way, the kingdom of God is not a territory, it's people. You are the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. Why did it say when Jesus rose up to heaven, now has come the kingdom of God? Was that, was that uh, the, uh, the uh, heavenly announcer's way of saying, oh, the battle's over, Jesus won? No. It was announcing the arrival of men into heaven. The, the kingdom of God are people. That's the kingdom of God. It's people. Jesus led a train of captives into liberty. And heaven shouted and announced, here comes the kingdom. It was Abraham and all those people from Abraham's bosom all being brought up, being led by the shepherd, being led by the advocate. Here comes the kingdom. And there they come. You see, when we come together on a Sunday morning, the angels gather and shout, here's the kingdom. We're a living embassy. Hallelujah. Because we're a collection of ambassadors. The kingdom of God is you and I. And so... I'm going to share with you my first insight for Kingdom of God ambassadors. As an ambassador of Christ, here's your first tip. The kingdom comes through ambassadors. That's tip number one. So act with kingdom certainty. Let me say that again. So act with kingdom certainty. In Luke chapter 12, in Luke's account of the, um, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Lord teaching the disciples to pray, if you read it, it says, And he said unto them, When you pray, say, The kingdom of God come, the will of God be done. Now, did you catch that? When you pray, say. Let me do it again. You're catching on. When you pray, Isn't it interesting that it didn't say, when you pray, ask? It said, when you pray, say. Now, I I don't want you going running off half-cocked. There's nothing wrong with asking, and, and I've got a message called The Power of Asking, and the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. But there's a difference between asking as a statement of fact and of confidence and asking, you know, kind of half believing that you're going to get an answer and half not knowing. And having that fatalistic kind of, well, I sure hope I get a yes. Hope I catch Jesus on a good day. Um, Because who knows what his will could be. He is fickle and uh, 
you know, we, we just don't, we never know. I know the Bible says this, but, you know, who can understand the Bible? So, you know, there, there's all of these, quote, religious qualifiers that we use to explain why people pray and they don't get answers. And I'm not going to fall into that trap that people fall into. They write a book saying, How to Get Your Prayers Answered, Three Quick Easy Lessons. and It's just silly. Why improve on what Jesus said? You can't do it. Jesus said, When you pray, say. And I just have to tell you, He didn't say ask. He said say. And there's a reason why He said, When you pray, say. The kingdom of God come. Because when it comes to praying concerning the things of the kingdom of God, he does not want any lack of certainty about what Jesus has done. And he doesn't want, when you come before him and you pray over matters, it doesn't begin with, here's the problem, it begins with, here's the answer. Pray, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's a statement. It's not an invitation. It's not a question. As if God might say, no, well, you know, I, I don't know if I can really bring the kingdom of God into your house. Are you listening to me? So, we are not praying your will be done with a giant question mark over our mind saying, who could know the will of God? Your will be done. Do you understand what I'm saying? When people say, if it be thy will, or Lord, according to your will, you see, it's not the words that come out of your mouth. Don't ever get hung up on becoming too, uh, uh, too tedious about praying with the right kind of language. God understood exactly what the thief that was, who was on the cross dying beside him knew. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Don't worry about it. Um, but the thing that he is tedious about is the heart. He knows what's behind those words. When you pray about the will of God, do you believe that you know what His will is? If you're just simply throwing stuff out and hoping it'll stick to the wall, but you're like, well, there's this overriding button, big red button beside the throne of God, will of God, big red button, <laughs> that he can hit that button. He, here you are, you're coming, you've got your Bible in your lap, you've been praying, Lord, you said in your word that with your stripes I was healed, I come before you in this situation, God, <laughs> if my will, I don't feel like it right now, and don't ask me, I've got good reasons, <laughs> if my will. And so we hit, that bar, we hit that electric fence like cattle, and sort of we learn, oh, well, don't get too close. We don't want to become demanding. We don't want to be assertive. We don't want to spiritual pride. And I'm not saying that people can't get into spiritual pride or they can't get arrogant or, or pompous when they pray. But on the other hand, I am saying that Jesus was trying to tell you when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Don't, you're not asking as though you don't know what his will is. Understand that you're an ambassador of Christ and pray like it. That's what he's saying. Be certain of what you really know. Be certain of, if you know that you're an ambassador of Christ, get on the phone and talk to him like you're an ambassador of Christ. 
And more than anything else, if you're not certain about yourself, be certain about Jesus. You can help your uncertainty about yourself by being certain about Jesus. The more certain you are about Jesus, the better you're going to be regarding yourself. And let me just say to you that the more uncertain you are about Jesus, there's no amount of self-confidence that are going to be able to prop you up. So, all right. Um, let me, let me move on and say that uh, praying with kingdom certainty means that the Lord wants you to think and to pray as an ambassador on earth of the kingdom of God, not, not as an advocate. Do you know the difference between an advocate and an ambassador? An ambassador represents a state or a kingdom that he is from while on assignment in a foreign land. An advocate is a person of the place where he lives, running around trying to drum up support for a particular cause. We are today plagued with advocates. Um, Our society, we've got an advocate for everything. There's advocate organizations and advocate people, self-proclaimed advocates, all running around beating the drum for every human need, doing In many cases, not a lot of good, sometimes harm. But I want to say something to you about the difference between ambassadors and advocates because there's a tragedy going on in the body of Christ. It's been going on for a long time, and that is Christians who confuse the role of ambassador with advocate. Heaven does not need advocates of the earth. Heaven has an advocate for earth. Did you know that all human need, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every individual on the face of the earth has an advocate? Are you blind? There's already an advocate for you. Are you crippled? Heaven's got it. You're represented. There's an advocate for you. Are you in poverty? There's an advocate for that. Homosexual? There's an advocate for that. Whatever the sin, whatever the need, whatever the problem, whatever the special circumstance, whatever the nuance, there is an advocate. His name is Jesus Christ. And the Father's not going to listen to any other advocates, because why should He? Is there one better than Jesus? Is there one that cares more? Is there one that knows the need any better than Jesus? When Jesus died on the cross, was there something He left out? That we need another advocate? Does God need another lawyer standing before him and arguing and pleading the case of somebody that Jesus overlooked when he was dying on the cross? Listen to me. Heaven has an advocate. We don't need more earth advocates. And the problem is there's too many Christians today in intercession and in prayer thinking that they have to be lawyer-like and be an advocate of the earth. You're wasting your time. Heaven has an advocate who already knows everything. What he's looking for is some ambassadors to get on the line, get on the line hallelujah, who represent heaven in that situation. That's what true intercession is. It's acting as an ambassador of the kingdom, not an advocate of earth. True ambassadors understand that the king of glory, ambassadors of the kingdom of God, they understand that Jesus, the King of glory, has already met the need. 
They know the power and the treasure of the kingdom that they represent. They're not, uh, they're not on the phone trying to talk heaven into what heaven has already provided and already done. So now when the ambassador gets on the line, he's reminding, hallelujah, he's reminding that advocate, here's the situation, and I just call you up, Jesus, and I thank you for your blood over this situation. I declare your lordship over my lost son's life or my, my granddaughter or my circumstances that I'm in or this health situation. Lord, your word says that the ambassador is touching on the provision that heaven's already made as he or she goes and stands between that need. You see, it can almost become insulting that we go to God and try to re-die Jesus' death for him. That we try to redo the work that Jesus did. When you read in Romans chapter 10, it says the word of faith, does not say, who shall descend into the depth to bring Christ up from the dead? Or who shall ascend into heaven to bring him down? In other words, that since Jesus rose from the dead and the accuser was cast out, faith is not about the person doing the praying, refighting Calvary, and descending down into the depth and and uh, as though your brokenness and your sacrifice is what's going to move the throne of God. Nor is it you by your holiness or your over-spirituality and that you are just ascending above everybody and you're fasting and praying and you are, you are ascending into heaven and so heaven is now going to answer this prayer because of the ascension of the intercessor. No, the word of faith in Romans chapter 10 says, speaks on this wise. It is in your heart and in your mouth that you may do it. You see, it's understanding you are an ambassador. Now, for years, we've watched people who talk as though they're ambassadors. But if you don't have this understanding, the key to faith is always understanding. If you understand your position and you understand Jesus' position, you don't have to be real wordy. You just have to be connected. Are you listening to me? There's just got to be a connection. God will honor faith. It doesn't take a whole lot of, you know, let's face it, nine-tenths or more of our praying is whipping ourselves up. and we're, just, we're shaping ourselves up when we pray. After an hour, boom, we finally get to it, you know. At any rate, you get the idea. Now, let me, let me say to something to you. Stop mixing prayer and gossip. Stop mixing prayer and gossip. Be an answer specialist, not a problem specialist. Some people think they're good intercessors because they're problem specialists. Well, I'll tell you, I, I love praying with brother so-and-so. Nobody can form that. Nobody can articulate that mess better than pastor so-and-so. Man, when he's praying about a goofed-up situation, he can just... I mean, when he talks about how the devil's operating and how people are messed up, you just... You just feel that awful situation just listening to it. You don't need to be a problem specialist. The Lord is now the Lord may be sitting there with his angels saying, Come here, you gotta hear this. <laughs> when this guy gets up here, it's gonna be exciting because listen to this guy. He's incredible. But no, no, you're you're you know 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't be a prop. Be an answer specialist. And the beautiful thing about being an answer specialist is it doesn't take a lot. You just need to know the answer. Because Jesus already did the answer. You're not creating it with your faith. You're not creating the healing with your faith. You're not, you're not talking God into answering. God's already talked into it. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Didn't He make it abundantly clear when He died on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead that He's already talked into helping us? Does He have to talk anymore? Does He have to say anymore? Is there any more that the Word didn't say that the Word needs to say? It is finished. It's kind of done. I mean, if we don't believe the gospel, there's nothing else. I mean, that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, look, he said, the sign of Jonah is all you're going to get, three days dead and then risen from the dead. If you don't hear that, there's no use in talking to you about anything else. Because it's all right there. That's it. So an answer specialist is not necessarily going to be long-winded. Might not be very articulate. I mean, Jesus was not necessarily articulate at the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. I would think if I was one of the sisters, I'd want part of my offering back. Because I had all these people gathered there, and I was expecting to hear a real Jesus prayer. You know, I mean, some, you know, I wanted to hear some praying, some preaching in that prayer and everything. Uh, Lazarus, come out. And then all of a sudden, oh, he comes out. It's pretty, pretty clear. Stop mixing prayer and gossip. Um, I'm going to grab a few extra minutes because this is, this is critical. Um, sometimes our most intimate work, which is the work of prayer, and when we gather together, two or more gather together in agreement, it's a very intimate gathering it, because it's a gathering of ambassadors. There's a code that ambassadors, it's, it's an office that, that you owe the highest honor to God to be an ambassador. And, and it's, um, it's one that we should take seriously. So when we pray, we need to be careful that we're not using prayer as a means of gossiping about people. You know, this is not supposed to leave this circle. We're here, the eight of us, praying. But I just got to tell you, this week, and I'm only telling you this so you can pray. So, first of all, and I'm going to I'm going to stop, and I'm not going to go too far, but I want to say this one thing: get it out there because it is a mind blower. It is critical for you to understand the enemy and the nature of the conflict with which you are now engaged. You need to understand the accuser was cast out of heaven and he's angry and he's in the world. What's he trying to do? What's he angry about? How is he using that anger? What's going on? What is the conflict we're in? You need to understand Satan is locked into one fatal obsession. And that fatal obsession is to prove his claim before God to be equal with God. And when he was cast out of heaven, he was furious because he existed for one thing and one thing alone. When he, the fact that he could have a conversation with God fed into that, that perverse ego, I'm equal with God. Think about it. Think about it. The, the, the 
The one thing that a terrorist craves is a sit-down with the president. The legitimization of being able to get heads of state to stop and open the doors and sit down at the bargaining table and invite the terrorists to come. All of a sudden, everything that they've done, all the evil that they've done, all the threats they've made, all the damage that they've done, is done for that purpose. I want to sit at the table because it, it, whether anyone else sees it this way, it, it fills that need in me to feel equal with God. When he was cast out, he was infuriated because he could no longer talk to the face of God. He could no longer say things. See, he doesn't care whether he tells lies. He tries to make those lies as crafty as he can. He's pretty good at it. But the reality is, is the fact that he could talk to God gave him the ability to assert the lie, I am equal with God because I talk to God. Are you listening to me? And God listens to me and talks back. God answered me about Job. I had a conversation. Look at the power. The devil felt so powerful after he had that conversation with Job because it was like, I could talk God out of Job and talk God into doing what I want to do with Job. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So this is his fatal obsession is the ability to talk to God. But that was denied him when Jesus cast him out of heaven, wasn't it? And so he wants his voice heard in heaven. Are you listening to me? He wants his arguments made in heaven. It doesn't really do much for the devil to see evil men gather on the earth and talk stupid nonsense with each other because they're sinners and and the world is, is baked in sin. To associate with us, the devil looks at it as he's taking a he's taking a cut in pay. He sees himself as God's equal. He wants his arguments made in heaven. Have I got you? All right. Since he no longer has access to heaven, he seeks to sow his thoughts into Christians who do have access to heaven. His tongue is not permitted in heaven, but yours is. Are you listening to me? If the devil can get you to repeat in prayer your petitions, prayers, and complaints, having allowed him to influence them with his thoughts, then vicariously he is speaking to God through you. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of a sudden, the ambassadors of Christ, given the royal privilege of interceding, have given, unwittingly, but have given the devil the very thing he craves is a little relief to be able to say, those are my words, that that foolish Christian is speaking in the presence of God. The fear that they are speaking the unbelief they are praying, the gossip against one another they are uttering before God. Those are my thoughts. I created those thoughts. 
I sowed those thoughts into them. Do you understand? He's looking for a puppet. He's looking for a puppet. That's why I say stop mixing prayer and gossip. What an incredible sobering thought that the devil has lost his tongue, so he's looking for yours. Specifically when it comes to being an intercessor or being an ambassador of Christ. The more you and I act as advocates running around saying, well, that ain't right, and someone needs to do something, and blah, 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 blah. And the less we act as ambassadors of Christ, lifting up Jesus, the more the devil sows his dialogue, his narrative into our mind. The more we speak his narrative, it diminishes our ambassadorial authority. Now, however... I'll speak about that the next time we get together. Praise the Lord. So let me put a chip clip on this and we'll keep this fresh. Amen? And we'll get back to this. But let me just let this end on a positive note by saying that Jesus said, it is so simple. Pray and say this. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. My assignment to you would be go home and in your prayer life say, Lord, I'd like, to, I'd like to improve my prayer life. Help me to pray more like an ambassador. Teach me what it means. Show me, Lord, what it means to pray your kingdom come and will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Show me how to think and to pray as an ambassador who is an answer specialist more than a problem specialist. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. At the gate, beautiful, Peter was an answer specialist. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, Give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Bam! The man jumped up on his feet, and they all went running into the temple, praising God. Hallelujah. And that is the picture of an ambassador of Christ. God wants to heal the sick through your shadow passing by. You don't have to have anything more than Jesus. He's all the specialness that we need. We have everything that we need. He, the advocate, whoever lives to make intercession, lives in you and I. It's not a matter of how long you've been a Christian or how brilliant you are, how many hours you pray. It's not a matter even of how often you fast or any of those other things. All those good, yep, they could be all wonderful if whatever we do in faith, we do in the love for Jesus. But Jesus said, whatever it is, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And so my prayer for us today is that we will live as a draw. That the Lord will will draw through us. The more that you're leaning your head on His chest like John did at the Last Supper, the more people will come to you for the answer. You're leaning on Jesus. What's He saying? Hallelujah. And that's my prayer you're positioned at his, at his right hand. You're positioned beside Him in heavenly places. Just incline your ear. Hallelujah. No matter where you are, what you're doing, work, home, play, relaxing, whatever it is, just lean into Jesus.
Just lean into Jesus. It's so simple. I'm not preaching being spiritual. I'm preaching just letting the Lord love you and loving Him back. Would you lift your hands? Now may the Lord of life, the God of all grace and comfort, the ever-radiant one, may He make His face to shine upon you. May He who is the glory and lifter of our heads lift your head this week. May He lift you up with joy so that with joy you may draw from the wells of salvation. May you go out into this week having walked upon a path of righteousness. May the mountains come down to meet your feet. May the valleys fill before you and the trees of the field clap their hands as you go forth because the Lord is with you. And as you go, Jesus goes with you. Let them see Jesus in you. You are His beloved child. You are His favorite, whom He loves with His very soul. Be blessed. Be filled. Walk in the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God